This is Back to Excited with your host, Arvind, and Acting the Fool from Pension Plan Puppets. Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 129. My name is Arvind. Joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPlanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fooliman. Hi, everybody. Fooliman, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing all right. Just, I, I'm, I'm moving in a few months, and st- it's starting to get to the point where it's like, oh, I have to deal with that. Yeah, yeah. That's one of those things that you probably do not want to have to do at the last minute, considering you're moving uh, a bit of a long way. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's also... Moving in a pandemic just makes everything so much more annoying. Yeah, I'm nope. having the same thought myself. I, yeah. I'm probably going to sit here for another year because I do not want to deal with that. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a nightmare. But um, what is not a nightmare is the Leafs record after 10 games. It's very good so far. Uh, yes. 15, 15 points in 10 games, so 7-2-1, and one, mm-hmm. which is very nice. Um Less nice is, is how they've been playing. We, we've talked a lot about this, and we're going to take a bit of a different approach to this pod. Like, we'll, we'll briefly talk about the game last night because it's pertinent. Again, we're at least lost 4-3 to the Oilers in overtime. Um, but after that, we're going to mostly just talk about the people who we don't talk about very much on this podcast, like the depth, and, and see how they're doing. Um, but, you know, what, what's your impression, before we get to that, what's your impression of this team through 10 games? They're not as good as they should be, and it's primarily because the second line, which has Tavares and Nylander on it, is not working as well as it ought to. And that's not the only problem by any stretch, but it is a problem. And I think I, I've i gotten to the point where I've made a lot of people annoyed online by kind of banging this drum. Mm-hmm. And people say, hey, I'm sorry, are you really that unhappy? They're 7-2-1, look at the record. And forgive me, but I'm thinking, have you ever watched the Toronto Maple Leafs before in your life? Yeah, it's, I mean, we, we were <laughs> chatting about this a bit off air, but it's like, if you're a casual fan and you're like, you know, oh yeah, the Leafs are good, you know, they're, they're winning well. I'm like, yeah, sure. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not gonna, in a world where we have social events and I talk to someone about the Leafs who's a casual fan about them, I'm not going to like, well, actually them about like, you know, yeah, oh, yeah if yeah. you look at the numbers, you know, because it's not worth it. <laughs> um, For sure. <laughs> And also, it's not a good way to endear yourself to people in social gatherings. Yeah. Uh, ask me how I know. <laughs> but it, it, when it comes to, like, online discussions about this team, and, you know, you get people who are like, oh, but their record is good. It's like, well, yes, it's been 10 games. Like, were you born yesterday? <laughs> We've been through this. Not even, even if you were a completely myopic Leafs fan, you only follow the Leafs, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> This happened in 2013. It happened mm-hmm. in 2014. It happened a little bit in 2015. I, I think it happened a bit in 2015. Um, that was the year Cardell got fired, right? And then Horacek, well, Horacek, we just died. Horacek, the team straight up gave up on him. I actually yeah. feel bad for him. Oh, yeah, he deserved yeah. a better fate, but yeah. Uh, for, he 100% did. Um, and then it's like, you know, th- th- this team has not earned the benefit to say oh well maybe there's some success here that numbers aren't capturing so well what fucking success yeah it's not like the islanders who can at least say hey look at us in the playoffs we win rounds this team is like hey look at us in the playoffs we get eliminated every year and so i don't want to swing all the way into gloom because i don't think this team is abject or anything like that 
But if we're trying to actually talk about how good they are, we probably need to aim a little bit higher than just, hey, scoreboard assholes. Well, yeah, and also the expectations <laughs> are an important part of it. Where mm -hmm. I think people are saying like, yeah, they're they're already a, basically a lock for the playoffs, which is true. Even if they yeah. basically played like a 500 team throughout, they've banked enough points here, and the division is is weak enough that they're almost guaranteed to at least get the three or four spot. Mm -hmm. But you know, the, the the Leafs are a capped out team. I guess a capped out has a negative connotation. They're a team that is spending to the cap. Yeah, they're a team that is has four players who are in various stages of what we hope is their prime. Right, we're we're not expecting. Oh, we're not saying. Oh, well, when Austin Matthews blossoms, we'll be good. No, Matthews is blossomed. He's a flower. Mm -hmm. All right. Same with Marner. Same with Nylander. We don't have any contributions from ELCs, really. Right. There, there's very little room for internal growth at this point. We're hoping for maybe some growth from Robertson or Sandine, and those are mm -hmm. the, those are the guys who we think. Okay, maybe these, they can be difference makers. But this is a team that is set up to win now. Right. Yes. The expectation is not. We get we go to the playoffs in a weak division, and we're in a few uh, we're in a couple fifty fifty um, series, and we hopefully get out into the last four. The expectation should be we are the best or very close to the best team in this division. The first round should be one where we are considerable favorites, and mm -hmm. the second round should be one where we are slight favorites. Yeah, pretty much. The only really good team in the division right now. Looks to be Montreal. I'm not including us in that discussion for purposes of looking at it. And even then, Montreal, we know, has some weaknesses. They are going to cool off to some extent with their shooting. Before, shooting has always been their weakness, and it's made them not actually all that good. Now they're very hot, and they look like world beaters. So it's a question of where they settle, but it won't be where they are right now. But then after that, it's like, this is all attainable. And even then, Montreal, I'm saying... If they come back to being just an ordinary shooting team, the Leafs should be at least on that level. Yes. Especially when you consider the Leafs' special teams. And that, that's the one thing we can unequivocally mm -hmm. say has been quite strong from them. Yes. And cre yeah, credit where it's due on that, because the power play is doing a few things that maybe aren't super intuitive with us. And it's running way hotter than it's ever going to continue to run. But it's still working very well. And it can get worse than this and still be very, very good. And so, to some extent, we kind of got to give credit where it's due and benefit of the doubt to whatever they're doing, as long as it keeps working at this right. Yeah, I was skeptical of splitting up the power play, right? And I, mm -hmm. I made comments early in the season when it wasn't quite as hot, um, saying, like, I don't get why we're splitting up the four, the five guys, really, who, were, who our team is built around and not playing them together when we know that'll be good. And it's true. I, th I still think that if we did that, that would be very good. Um, but we've been able to group together two power play units that have both done very well, and they offer differing threats. So, you know, I, I, will, I will hold my hand up there and say, you know, the, the power play as it's constituted is better than I expected. Mm -hmm. um, I, I expected we would have to have loaded it up, and it seems like we don't have to. We're able to uh, get good results just through the stars and the supporting players as long as we're using the stars properly which you know one thing i will you know i i, I one thing i will take credit for you know I, I was humble there and admitting a wrongdoing which you know very rarely happens uh, a wrongdoing that is um but one thing i'll say is you know this is this season has made it more and more clear where that matthews and marner should just be on their strong sides you know mm -hmm. don't put them on their weak sides yes the only thing that i was thinking of and we were talking about this earlier this week is 
insofar as it has any value, and the fact that we have two units that can get some different looks, some different approaches, I think it makes it harder for the defense to predict to some extent. Now, that said, the best outcome is strong side for Marner, strong side for Matthews, and you pointed out to me, he says, look, any way you slice it, Marner to Matthews is the number one play. And that is kind of what you would expect because it's our best passer to our best shooter. What else would it be? So I do wonder if some of this changing up to things that don't look like they're maybe the, the best arrangement for the power play is just to make it so that they don't get totally stale. And so that no penalty killer on the other team has total certainty of what they're going to be staring at. That's the only use I can think of it, and I'm giving it benefit of the doubt as long as it keeps running like this, or at least very well. Yeah. The power is really what has saved us mm-hmm. through, through the season, through the early parts of the season. And again, another thing worth noting, we have the same goal differential as Winnipeg. Yep. Right? Like, it's... We're, we're not dominating teams. We're winning close games. Now, again, unless you were born yesterday, that should make you think okay, well, is that a repeatable feat? And the answer, generally speaking, is no. Mm-hmm. If there was a team that could beat it, you would expect them to be kind of a, a team that could lock down a game when they wanted to. I don't think the Leafs are any sort of... <laughs> uh, they don't have any capability to do that, that I've seen. Um, so there, there's, there's warning signs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so all this is to say... The Leafs' record is great. It means that they are in a good position the rest of the way, mm-hmm. assuming they, even if they play kind of the way they have, which is essentially a break-even team, yeah, they're probably going to be in and around a playoff spot. Yeah. And I, we would expect them to be better than a break-even team. Yeah, and I would also say, even if the Leafs just keep kind of scuffling like this, they're in a decent position to be a favorite in round one. And... You know, I could easily see them winning a couple of rounds, and then this will seem like the most successful season the Leafs have had in 19 years. And it will be, in a sense. I'm just saying, this team is not, as we were saying, built to wait for the future. We didn't sign Wayne Simmons and Joe Thornton um, to do that. We didn't sign John Tavares to waste years of his remaining late prime. We're not really in a position where we're looking ahead to the future and saying, it's okay, this year is a stepping stone. It's This is a year where we seriously want to contend, and we think we have a good chance to do it because we're in this soft division. Yeah, and it's not, it's not getting any easier going yeah. forward, right? So we want to be in the best position to take advantage of that, and right now we're not seeing this team play to what we thought was its potential. Maybe we're just too high on their potential, and they're actually not that good, but who knows? Yeah, that's entirely possible, but like... Again, to put this in perspective with this with this division, um, the team that is currently third in points percentage is Winnipeg. They have 0.5 functional NHL defenders. Yeah, they're not a good team. They're not. I do not believe that they are a good team. The team that's um, fourth in points percentage is Vancouver, who was three games from, you know, before their three games against Ottawa, they were in crisis. Mm-hmm. All right, so, and Vancouver, I think we have a series against them up next, and... If we don't kind of beat the brakes off them, because they are not a good team, mm-hmm. it's really worrisome. It is really, really, really worrisome. Yeah. 
that's the standard that we're holding the Leafs to, is we're saying we want to see you outplay teams at five on five. We want to see you win sort of comfortably once in a while. We want to see more. And they did that to Winnipeg a couple of weeks ago. And then since then, it's been a lot of scuffling. And I know that there's been a lot say, of travel. Yep, yeah, I would sorry, say the ahead. second game against Ottawa and the Winnipeg game are the only games where I'd say, yeah, we were comfortably, you know, and by far the better team that was a dominating one. Yeah. And, you know, with all due respect, Ottawa is absolute garbage. Mm-hmm. Like, the only team that Ottawa has beat is Toronto. They won that one game to start their season. They have lost every game since. So, yeah, that's that's not like a sterling achievement, to be totally honest. Yes, and, and we're not saying, okay, you have to blow out every, every one of these teams every single time, but it's like, you know, once in a while is, is good. Yeah. Especially when you face, you know, the... the more, I don't even want to say the good teams, but like the less worse teams like Edmonton and Calgary. Mm-hmm. To say nothing of Montreal. Yeah. It's just, you know, I, I think we've, we've pretty much made the point there, but I just want to, to emphasize, it's like, it's not like I'm saying that they're actually a lottery team in disguise. And I think when you criticize them, people sometimes hear it that way. It's not like I'm saying that it's bad to win three quarters of your games. It's good. If they keep doing it, I won't care about anything after a while. That's what matters. My concern is the way they're trending, they're probably not going to keep this up the way that they're playing. So there are things that have to be adjusted. Yep. So anything else on that? Or do we want to start talking about the guys that we don't really talk about very much? Yeah, I'm happy to talk about the depth for it. Yeah. So we thought that just by way of contrast, you know, we talk about Matthews and Tavares and Riley and Muzzin and all that. Most podcasts. As well, we should, because they are the most important people on the team. But it can mean that we sort of neglect other players on the in the lineup. And so we were going to talk about guys we considered to be depth or that we maybe just under-discussed. And so there were some judgment calls here. I figured we had talked enough about Kerfoot, VC, and Mikheyev. In recent pods, as well as Joe Thornton, who is out for the foreseeable future. So we're focusing on guys from there on down in the forward lineup, and then guys outside the top four on defense. So we'll just say, how have they been driving? What's going on? Uh, and we'll start with Wayne Simmons. Criticism of Wayne Simmons is not allowed. So this will be an exclusively positive segment. <laughs> or almost to it. I mean, I have to say, I like having him on the team, is my starting point. I am trying not to let that totally blind me, but he's been a lot of fun to have around. He's also scored three times, which is good. Um, he is running a little bit hot shooting-wise. His goals are of the variety where he gets into the crease, especially on the second power play unit, and... Kind of makes some mayhem, point blank. And that's fine. He gets some credit even for pucks that just go in through that chaos that he creates. But at the same time, when they're bouncing off him at a particularly high rate, that is a little bit lucky. His energy level has always been there. He's a gamer. He's willing to drive the net, which is something that we sometimes want more of. At the same time, I think it's clear that he's nearer the end of his career than the beginning. Mm-hmm. And 
he's a, a bottom six caliber player at this point in his career who still has a bit of offense, but is going to go stretches where he doesn't really seem to impact the game in a major way. And that's just kind of how it is. Yeah, I, I think he's been fine on the power play. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's hard to judge, as you say, because you know, the power play has been so good that you kind of are just like, okay, yeah, everyone, everyone, who's been, everyone who's touched the power play, you know, you're doing amazing, sweetie. Um, <laughs> just just keep, keep doing that. Um, mm-hmm. He's obviously not incredibly central to it. You know, the Leafs have been blessed with some really great net front presences over, mm-hmm. you know, their recent past. Um, James Van Riemsdyk is, is really one of the best in the league, and I don't think he got the credit he deserved for being that. Um, Nylander, when played at the net front last year, showed kind of a, a really interesting and diverse skill set for someone in that position, right? Most people who are there don't have the passing and the touch that he has, uh, which, was, which was really useful at times. Simmons is a very classic net front guy. He's been fine on the power play. I mean, uh, uh, again, his two power play goals, one was him banking a puck off his own skate, definitely not intentional. One was uh, him kind of, like basically providing a screen and Marner essentially banking it in off him. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, as you said, you know, that's to his credit. He's getting into the situations where chaos can result in a goal. But I don't expect that to change too much. Or I don't expect, like, you don't expect the same sort of results going forward. He, he, he's running hot at this point. Mm-hmm. But, it, you know, it, I think he can be a good part of, an important part, or not an important part, a part of a good power play unit, right? Which yeah. he is currently being right now, even if they are running hot. At 5v5, it's, it's trickier like that. He started off on the fourth line, and then since the Thornton injury has been on the third line with Kerfoot, the numbers, in, and this is going to be true of essentially everyone we talk about in this podcast, mm-hmm. uh, the numbers for the depth, it, it's ghastly. It's really, really bad. Yes. Right? And, you know, the question is, okay, well, why, why is that happening? And I don't have a phenomenal answer for you, right? I mean, with, with the depth guys, you know, usually you're not expecting great numbers because these guys are not phenomenal players, but they also, their competition is adjusted for that, right? Yes. So it's still a problem that these guys are, are not um, carrying play the way we would like them to. Yeah, you'd rather win those minutes than lose them. Now, it is worth noting, we are dealing with tiny samples here. Yes. I am deliberately not talking a lot about specific numbers, in my notes anyway, because I don't want to give a level of specificity that isn't really deserved. Like, mm-hmm. if I talk to one decimal point about what the, the XG a player has, a huge number of these results, especially in things like XG, could be one really, really good chance. And that could skew the entire outcome. That happened last night, actually, to Pierre Engvall, mm-hmm. um, who, who was quite solid in shots, but got burned very badly at one point, and so his XG was terrible. And so, yeah, like, there's a lot of uh, uncertainty there. And we're also aware the fourth lines, especially the ones with Spezza on them, tend to be used quite defensively. And sometimes it's just a matter of go out there, hang on, maybe get the puck out, and that's it. Still, all of that included, you do want to come closer to winning those minutes. You, you know, depth guys are below average players by definition. Katja has this running joke about, you know, people who want every player on the team to be a positive in relative stats, which of course is not how it works. But, you know, it's 
you can't say that it's going super well in a lot of respects when they're getting snowed under. Yeah, and and Simmons in fact has, and this is not this is not a reflection of him as a player necessarily, but just a record of what has happened. He has mm-hmm. the worst five v five goal rate, goal differential rate on the team. Mm-hmm. Right, so you know the team is getting outscored when he's on the ice, um, which obviously is not a good thing. Yeah. Now a, a huge portion of that is just it is luck. Like, he shouldn't be getting outscored to the rate that he is getting outscored, right? His yeah. on-ice save percentage is, like, 87%. His on-ice shooting percentage is, like, 3%. You know, that's that's not going to persist long-term. Um, but, you know, it, it probably won't regress upwards a huge amount either. Yeah. With the guys like this, we're mostly hoping for chipping and bit duty. Now, we are calling on him to do somewhat more at the moment because he's bumped up to the third line. You know, get a few power play points. Be good in the room. Exert a certain amount of toughness, you know, he started that fight against the Habs, where he, well, he fought Ben Sherratt. Ben Sherratt kind of played dead after about one second, which is what I would do if I were fighting Wayne Simmons. There's an interesting, um, I guess, transitivity thing here, because Ben Sherratt also just like one-punched Matthew Kachuk. Yes, this has been a hilarious week for fans of Matthew Kachuk getting owned. I gotta tell you. It's uh, it's been a lot of fun. I've enjoyed it. Yeah. And uh, actually, you know what? Very briefly, I just want to note. I think sometimes Arvin and I, being maybe more numbers or at least more methodical-minded kind of people, we can seem like we don't enjoy the game as much as we should. Like we don't take the pure pleasure of watching hockey. And I want to tell you, Jake Muzzin flipping the puck at Matthew Kachuk and Kachuk just imploding and having the ugliest meltdown I've ever seen on the ice was one of the funniest moments I've ever seen. And it really lightened my heart for a long time in this dark world that we have to live in. It was great. I wish Jake Muzzin would get a statue just for flicking that puck at Matthew Kachuk. <laughs> it was great. That didn't have anything to do with Wayne Simmons and his play. I just had to slip that in somewhere. Bring it back around to, to Wayne. I think you can say he's more or less delivering on what he's supposed to do. We talked when he was signed about, okay, by on-ice measures of, like, things that he's actually doing that we can measure, is he still worth $1.5 million a year at this point in his career? Probably not. Do I like him? Yeah. Do I like some of the things that he's done, some of the plays that he's made? Yes. Do I wish that more of our team sometimes created a little bit of havoc in the opposing crease? I do. So maybe if you put all that together, you say okay it's fine enough for what he's got yeah i i guess that's kind of where i I stand simmons is a bit of a sentimental figure Um, yeah and uh, this is going to be true of a lot of what we talk about where Mm -hmm. we'll kind of say okay you know these guys collectively aren't driving the team which is true but it's also like you know if all of them are bad that does actually hurt the team a fair bit yeah and the Leafs have leaned pretty hard into top six, bottom six at this point. Mm-hmm. We, we've talked about that a lot. And as we've noted, the second line isn't really working. So that already blows a hole in the top six function. But you want the bottom six to at least come closer to controlling play or at least make nothing happen. And, and that's a big ask, obviously, to slow the game down to that extent. But right now, it's a bit of a work in progress, put generously. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but that said, I think Wayne Simmons has done basically what you would have expected him to do. Like, yeah, like this is what 
veteran forward Wayne Simmons is at this point in his career. And so it's, it's maybe not a huge shock that, uh, you know, he's, he's chipping in as, as best he can, but he's also not really driving the bus at this point. Right. Uh, any further thoughts on that, or can we move on to Jason Spezza? Yep, let's move on. Yes, uh, we also all love Jason Spezza. Um, obviously, he passed through waivers and said, if anyone claims me, I'm going to retire, which was fun. I, I like him. I like that he likes it here. He's a great face-off man, and he's been used for FOGO shifts, as they're called, which is face-off, get-off. You go out, you take a draw. If you win it, your team clears it out of the zone, and you go for a change. And FOGO shifts have a way of really sewering your numbers, because if you win, you still go off before anything good offensive happens for the team. But if you lose the draw the opposing team probably starts to get shots and chances. So it's sort of a no-win scenario in terms of your numbers because all that can happen is either nothing or shots and chances against. That's obviously not the only thing that he does. It doesn't mean that, you know, we should expect his numbers to be 0-400 against, which they aren't, but they're not great. But I have seen guys in the past wind up with very warped numbers due to Fogo work. Tyler Bozak comes to mind. He was used by that for a bit, and he was also on a terrible defensive team. But still, his numbers got a lot better later on in his career after he did somewhat less of that. Spets is also a second-unit power play guy. He's still a very smart player. Like, he, he knows things that you can do that maybe most players don't or can think of them in the moment. And his... Face-off percentage remains great with all that veteran savvy and maybe a bit of benefit of the doubt from the linesman. But, you know, at the same time, I think this is his last year in the NHL. Mm-hmm. And he, he's not much more than a fourth-line specialist kind of guy at this point, which is okay. But we probably like him more than his actual on-ice value at this stage. Yeah, yeah, I, I think, I think that's fair. Um, the the usage thing is is interesting because yeah, he he does seem to get a lot of um, a lot of defensive usage in terms of shift starts, but then in term he's also kind of played a little bit when the Leafs do need a goal, right? So it's mm-hmm. a little bit of an interesting dichotomy there. Again, the numbers aren't great, but like the samples are, it's tiny right we're talking mm-hmm. about less than 60 minutes right like his his goal differential is literally like two to three yeah. right two goals for one goals again one goal again or sorry three goals against so um yeah it's hard to really know what to what to think here I, it, it, again we have all these complementary depth players none of them are really outstanding and it, it's resulted in a in a sum total that isn't really adding a whole lot yeah, I think as we go down the list, we'll be often saying, hey, this guy's like a fine fourth liner a lot of times. But we don't have a lot of guys who are like above average, strong fourth liners. I think maybe the next guy on the list could be that, but, you know, we'll see. Mm-hmm. And, and so the result is that the fourth line maybe doesn't doesn't do much else but seeming to, to uh, hang on for dear life and then put guys who can chip in on a power play unit, which is great. 
but yeah, like it's not doing all, all that much um, in terms of positive impacts. And you'd like to see maybe more of that from some depth players at some point. I, I do actually, this does sort of touch on something else. I think Leafs fans, you know, they look at this and they think, okay, but Thornton and Robertson are out. And that's required everyone to bump up. If you put Thornton and Robertson back in, everyone is moving down a couple of slots in the forward lineup. And so these guys probably would look better or be used. I mean, some of them not at all, but maybe in less arduous usage. But I feel like it's worth emphasizing. Every team gets injuries, especially when you sign a guy who is 41 years old. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't think that it's like necessarily an excuse to be like, oh, okay, we're missing a couple of wingers. Well, sorry, but that's the kind of thing that happens in the NHL. So, yeah, I, I don't, um, I don't know that maybe we're getting as much out of some of these players as we would like, despite the fact that I really like Jason Spezza and I still, occasionally, am impressed by what he can still do. Yeah, I think. One of the issues, and maybe this gets to a broader team tactical issue, is that the Leafs um, seem to play in a way that requires to for them to get chances, that they have to kind of go through five opposing skaters. Mm-hmm. Right? There's there's not a lot of easy offense on the table that you get sometimes just, you know, for, for all his faults. And Kappen didn't have a good year last year, but for all his faults, he would sometimes just get a good chance because he's faster than the other people. Mm-hmm. Right? Nikayev yeah. is still doing that, but he's yes. kind of on an island in some yeah. ways. Yeah. Um, and we don't really have that in our fourth line at all. And, and they're also still Leafs, so they're not great at defensive execution in their own zone either. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, they're, they're fourth liners, which means they're not going to put together a great passing play to get open shots, even if they're as good as, you know, Jason Spezza is at passing. Because, mm-hmm. you know, if they could do that, they would be first or second liners for primarily. So I wonder if, if that's part of the reason the numbers for these guys are so bad. Um, mm-hmm. Because the, the, what the offensive system asks of Leafs to get chances is just too much for depth players. Yeah. And I do find myself thinking, look, Simmons and Spezza are players who were once elite offensive players who are in the late stage of their decline, and yet we're using them in hyper-defensive usage plus a bit of power play. And the plus a bit of power play, as we've said, not the problem. But we seem to have counted on experience and savvy and face-off percentage to be enough for these guys to be effective, despite it not really being what they're that good at when we were looking at this before the season i found myself saying hey this looks like it might be a kind of offensive oriented fourth line and it did but that turned out not to be how it was intended to be used it's still being used like a mostly defensive fourth line and i don't know that it's going that great like the the basic problem here is one they're fourth line caliber players but two they're they're being asked to do something that maybe is not natural and they're not getting chances to, you know, dazzle with their offensive ability to some great extent. Yeah. The, the only, um, we'll get into these players later, but like Boyd and Brooks have 
better offensive zone uh, shift starts than a lot of people, but their, their samples are tiny. It's like two in one game, mm-hmm. respectively, right? So can't really read into that at all. Um, so, yeah, it's yeah. It, it's a little weird. I mean, they're, they're not getting super... Their, their usage isn't, you know, like Sean Corrali-esque, but mm-hmm. it's it seems to be like, you know, square peg round hole a little bit. Yeah, I, I which is something that I noted, and this was true as of yesterday morning because I was doing some notes then, so it doesn't incorporate last night's game. But at the time, Spezza had taken more defensive zone faceoffs than Tavares or Kerfoot had, and obviously they both had many, many more in other zones of the ice. And some of that reflects that we were using Jason Spezza to start penalty kills, and then if he got the first clear, we would just head off. Um. You know, I understand that he's being put in in some tough situations, and so I don't want to judge it too harshly. And maybe it's just, you know, look, your fourth line is never going to be that good unless you get lucky with a particular arrangement of players because you have to go bargain bin shopping for these guys. I don't know. Um, at, at any rate, I, I certainly do like him, and I understand if we want to keep playing him for, for sentimental reasons. Just expectations should be modest. And I think maybe even a lot of us got carried away because last year Spezza was a quite good fourth liner and was super productive. He's still capable of producing decently in that role, especially on the power play. But, you know, he's near the end of his career. That's Mm -hmm. the bottom line. Right. Um, Pierre Engvall. I like Pierre Engvall. Uh, (laughs) I don't know if Sheldon Keefe always does or if some of the fans do. He seems to make Sheldon Keefe annoyed, which is interesting to judge by the quotes. Like, Keefe has specifically said he's got to do more or get it together. We need to see more from him. And I don't know if he just thinks that Engvall is one of those guys who needs a bit of a kick in the behind to get going. But he seems to have made a point of it. And the other problem is that Engvall makes $1.25 million against the salary cap, which looks to be more than he's worth at this point. But also means that he is in some ways... Less useful compared to guys who make, say, 700k as part of the Leafs' quest to sort of bank cap space, which is now kind of out the window anyway due to long-term injury reserve, but mm-hmm. whatever. The other thing is that Engvall is nearing the end of his waiver exemption. Um, he can still, at time of writing, be put on the taxi squad or dropped to the AHL without having to clear waivers, but that's going to end in three games. So... After that, I wouldn't be surprised if he sticks around more or they might move him down and leave him down to avoid having to to deal with that. All of that's a little unfortunate because I actually firmly believe that he's one of the 12 best forwards and I like him as a fourth liner. Yeah. He does. Yeah. I, Sorry, I, I do as well. Um, I mean, I think he's one of our 12 best forwards. I don't think he's amazing, but no, he's a fourth liner. His contract is too rich, as you said. Um, but yeah, it's. I think to some extent there's kind of a, he's a bit of a victim of the expectations he put on himself by having a hot finishing run to start his career. Yeah, people remember it, that and think, oh, you know, he can't score anymore, but maybe he could never score and he just got a bit lucky. Yeah, and that's unfortunate. He really is not the best offensive zone player. It's just a fact. He doesn't seem to have a lot of finishing talent, and that's not really there for him. That's also why he's not going to be a third liner. Probably he just doesn't score enough. But he is huge, 
He is fast, and he can play decent defense and maintain possession of the puck pretty well. I'm not saying he never makes mistakes, because he made one last night, and a lot of people mm-hmm. were not happy about it, <laughs> and understandably. But I think that he's one of the better defensive forwards on the team. And on the fourth line, I am especially okay with having a guy who is very defense first, especially compared to some of the other issues we've talked about, like with Jason Spezza. He's also fast. And so every now and then they'll get a rush chance out of it. And he might still chip in a few points. That's all you really need him to do. If this, if Pierre Engvall were making, you know, 800, 900K, I think he would be in the, in the lineup like almost every night. And maybe people would give him a bit more credit because they would, not be so worried about him being slightly overpaid. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But he's a bit like if Frederick Gauthier was much worse at faceoffs, but better at most other things. <laughs> so so yeah. not at all like Frederick Gauthier? Yeah, actually, uh, they're both just tall. That's what I was trying to say. <clears throat> but yeah, uh, I don't know. I-, I think that he should get more more ice. And if his waiver exemption ends and he's on the roster and he's an everyday player for us, that would not make me unhappy. Yeah. Any other thoughts on the, the big giraffe? Not really. I, I mostly agree with that. It's he, he feels like maybe the one guy who could actually provide some value on the fourth line, even mm-hmm. not necessarily with respect to his contract, but relative to the level of play that a fourth liner generally produces. Yeah. And, and I mean, at the most elemental level, and forgive me for going all ho- old hockey man here, he's 6'5 and he can skate. Mm-hmm. That's like not a bad combination of things that you can be and or do at the NHL level. So. Yeah. Uh, the next is Alexander Barabanov. I'm sorry, but like, why are you still here, man? Aside from being waivers exempt. Like, I know why he's still here. But right. It, also, it, why is he still here? <laughs> right. So th- this is one of the, the... I almost have nothing to say about Barabanov. He hasn't done anything. Um, and that's... Again, like we're not overly criticizing any one of these players i feel mm-hmm. but in aggregate they're not doing a whole lot and i think that's best exemplified by barabanov who i i genuinely remember maybe one play of his this year it's he just hasn't done very much here's the thing depth is good it's good to have forward depth and especially in a year like this where we're expecting that there could be absences there's going to be a lot of games on short notice it can be just useful to cycle guys out in order to give other players some rest. All of that makes sense to me. Barabanov really feels like Kyle Dubas signed this guy, and so Sheldon Keefe feels obliged to put him in lineups on a semi-regular basis. But he doesn't really want him there. Because, and this was true before last night's game again, but it was only slightly altered by last night. Barabanov averages under six minutes a night of ice time, which is nothing. That's as close to not playing as you see teams do with a player that they actually dressed for the game. Like, we would see this stuff with Oren McLaren when their job was to go out, get in one fight, and then disappear. But beyond that, that's really low. And he's, you know, he's made a few nice plays against the boards that I've seen. But it feels to me like every game it's he gets one opportunity in the first period or something like that. And then when stuff starts getting serious, Sheldon Keefe says, okay, I'm not playing him anymore. And 
because Barabanov doesn't do any special team stuff, really, he doesn't end up playing very much at all. Whereas even guys like Spezza, who stop playing as much, still get that second unit power play time or the odd face-off on the penalty kill. When you're a fourth-line guy, you don't play a lot at five-on-five. Your coach doesn't use you on any special teams. And there are a lot of other candidates. I really kind of start to wonder, what are we doing here, guys? Yeah, he's been, I think, the least played Leaf forward in almost every game he's played. Yeah, despite appearing in more games than some of them, he doesn't play um, more than Keith can seemingly help. So, that feels like it's talking. I mean, could he do a fourth-line shift and kind of hang around? I think so. I think most of these guys could at least be passable. I don't think that he's an unplayable disaster or anything like that. Maybe he's good. I just, I don't think we're going to see it the way things are trending. And Barabanov actually is getting pretty um, notable uh, offensive uh, offensive zone starts. Yeah, and that, that, like, that's an interesting thing because if Keith doesn't really want to use him and stuff, he like it's almost like he's just trying to, to give him a chance to do something. And you can say, oh, it's an adjustment period, but like this guy's 26 years old. You know, and I know that it's an adaptation to come over the ocean um, from the KHL, but yeah, I'm just not sure that there's necessarily a fit here, unless he goes way up in priority. Mm-hmm. Any other thoughts? Or uh, no, I, I, I mean, <laughs> we basically just spent his on talking about him as he's been on the ice this year. So, <laughs> Travis Boyd. People like Travis Boyd. Yeah, I like Travis Boyd too. I mean, it, it helps that he he's gotten points in uh, his in the games that he's played, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that said, yeah, I like him. I like him and Engvall together. I think that they have, like, an extremely modest amount of ability to do some stuff on the rush. But we're on the fourth line right now, so let's go in on a curve. Uh, he, you know, he's fun. He tries hard. Um, it's kind of too bad that neither he nor Engvall can take face-offs, seemingly. Um... Boyd has never actually been a good face-off man. I know people just sort of assume that they, these guys are. Um, but he's won one of seven on the year. Or, <laughs> so that's a bad start. And previously he's been underwater in face-offs. Um, so, you know, the idea that maybe Engvall and Boyd could trade off since they're shooting opposite ways and kind of do some of that basic stuff, not so much. But in other respects, I've liked him, even if I don't think he's going to keep producing points at this rate. I wouldn't mind seeing more of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He does feel like the kind of guy who, like, in a year, if we listen back to this podcast, it's 50-50. We're like, who are they talking about? Yeah. So. <laughs> I mean, I'd be happy with him playing more just because maybe he will do something. And yeah. the rest of our fourth line really hasn't. Yeah. Like, if, if you asked me to to make my, my fourth line out of these players right now, uh, right now, I have Simmons on the third line. And then it's a combination of Spezza, Boyd, and Engvall for me. Like, these are my guys who I want to get on there. And I think that they might have a chance of winning their minutes. Or at least, you know, not losing them to any great extent. Mm-hmm. So, that would be positive. Uh, Joey Anderson. I think Joey Anderson is next year's man. You know what I mean? Like Right. There's too much traffic in front of him, but unlike most of these other guys, he still has some upside. He's 22. And 
we can reasonably hope that he might be more later than he is now. He's also going to be waivers exempt the whole year, so it's very easy to shuffle him in and out. And so, while I do like him, I liked, you know, what he showed in one little game, and the idea of him being a mini Zach Hyman slash Blake Coleman is very appealing. I, I think more than anything, he's a let's see where he's at next year, and it, can he take someone's job in camp? Yeah, it, it's like, we'll, we'll, he's probably not going to factor in too much this year, but I, I have... I have some hopes for her, as, as mm-hmm. you say. No, I wouldn't say high hopes, but some hopes. Yeah. This is the only guy of all of these forwards that we're listing who is, in any realistic sense, still a prospect. You know? Like, mm-hmm. I, you can anticipate more growth there, more learning, and I think that they're, they're kind of giving him a taste, keeping him in the organization as a sort of learning experience. Now, he's played NHL before in New Jersey, so it's not like he's, he's totally new to the whole experience, but I I think that this is a growth year for him, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's my boy, Adam Brooks. I, like, I don't think it's going to happen, mostly because, despite the fact that he did have one goal, which is great, and I'm, I'm glad for him. Count how many names that we just said before we got to Adam Brooks. Right. And so, <laughs> you know, I just, there are too many bodies in front of him. He's like a smart-ish playmaker, for a fourth line guy, but he's one of those, those guys who is good, is smart, is hardworking, willing to learn. And that might be enough for him to sort of grind out a career, but he'll never play high enough in the lineup that a lot of his gifts are going to show to great advantage. Like he's the kind of guy who will, you know, make some really smart play in an AHL highlight. And you'll be thinking, Oh, it'd be cool if he could do that in the NHL, but he can't play high enough in the lineup to get the chance. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't have much to say about Brooks. Yeah, so we've covered off uh, the forwards. Obviously, y- you know, this is end of lineup, like fringe roster stuff, but it's worth surveying them. The defense we actually sort of more care more about. Um, are we okay with Zach Bogosian? I sort of am at this point. <laughs> After a really brutal first game, he's been all right the rest of the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, he took two penalties and he looked... Slow, less than uh, agile in that first game. And then I just stopped thinking about him at all. And I know that old cliche, a good game is when you don't notice him for a defenseman, is uh, widely misapplied. But for third pair defensive specialists, it's pretty close to true. I genuinely do not want to have a lot of thoughts about Zach Bogosian in the course of a game. Mm-hmm. Um, except when he's making one you know, good defensive play, which he has done. And that's fine. Yeah, like I mean, he's delivered. The numbers still aren't very good, right? Yeah. I, he's probably still. Like, uh, I mean, I don't know. I guess we don't. Ha- we still don't have a lot behind him. We, we we heard a lot about how Dermot was going to play the right side this year, and that just hasn't happened. Um, what was that about anyway? Yeah, <laughs> it was weird, but yeah, yeah. That, that ended up just not happening at all. Um, again, he's. I don't think he's providing really any excess value. From, from where he is in the lineup, but... Yeah, I mean, depending on what you think of his penalty killing. Yeah, which, uh, You know, the yeah, penalty kill has true. been decent. Yeah, I was focusing on his 5-on-5, five five, but the penalty yeah. kill in general has been good, and Bogosian's an important part of that, so that has yeah. some value, to be sure. Yeah, and so it's fine. Certainly nothing to get, like, super mad about. Mm-hmm. Uh, Travis Dermott. Travis Dermott, we've 
I feel like we've covered Travis Dermott left and right. It's exactly the same as we've always said about him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, third pair guy puts up good numbers. I-, I think, you know, as an aside, people might be swinging around into overrating Justin Hall a little bit at the moment. Like, people are starting to get a bit carried away. But the fact remains, Hall is having a quite good year. And he's playing like a bona fide second pair defenseman. Dermot's not going to take his job unless there is either a massive slump or an injury in front of him. And that could happen, but until it does, Dermot is sort of left out in the cold. I wouldn't be surprised if Dermot ends up in Seattle. I really yeah. would not. Yeah. And he, it's possible he makes us uh, look a bit dumb afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, he's done things well. It's just a matter of what's the fit there. He doesn't kill penalties. We don't need to use him on the power play. And so he's a good 5v5 defenseman, good neutral zone defender. He's still strong, still agile, still keeps a good gap. But, you know, it's a bit like he just does not have an obvious route to playing more than he already does. And that's the big problem. And it's always been his problem. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um, Anyway, that said, he's done his work well. Him and Bogosian is a perfectly fine third pairing. I have no problems with it. And the more I see of it, the more I'm okay with it. Um, yeah, so then we get to Miko Lettinen. This is another... I question what we were kind of doing here. It just seemed like we were trying to get another guy, and there, at this point it seems like there's no real need for him. At least Keith doesn't seem to trust him. Yeah. I think... You know, we've seen a bit of this before, but when you bring in, like, a high-point-scoring defenseman from the KHL to be a third-pair guy, you kind of question whether that's worth it. Because, one, you know, the adjustment from the KHL is really difficult, but okay. But you're not really going to need them for first-unit power play time. We're giving Letton in second power play time sometimes when he gets in. But we don't really need him to do that, and... I don't really want him to do that. He's quite shot happy. It's worse at 5v5, which is not something that endears me to a defenseman. Keefe has said he thinks Lettinen doesn't look comfortable yet except on the power play. I am pretty sure that means that Keefe isn't comfortable with him except on the power play. I don't even like him on the power play. No, neither do I. I thought, he's, so... I thought he was too shot. We, again, we haven't seen a huge amount of it, but... In yesterday's game, he was really shot happy, and granted, the Leafs did score a goal from that. Um, but you know, I, I, this is something I'd actually like to see you know greater research into because just looking at um, you know the shot percentage, shooting percentage from the point doesn't completely capture the value taking point shots, right? Like it mm-hmm. maybe um, it, they lead to tips at a higher rate than other shots or whatever. But my impression when watching them is that they're just not that dangerous. Yeah, like I'm, I'm if I'm any team facing the Leafs and, you know, Miko Lettinen's on the ice with Tavares, Nylander, um, Spezza is on that line, is, is on that one, and Zach Hyman's there. I want Miko Lettinen dominating the puck, right? I, I, I don't <laughs> yeah. want the other guys to touch it. I want Miko Lettinen to just clap bombs forever. Mm-hmm. And if uh, one gets tipped, one gets tipped, but that's my best defense against these guys. Yeah. So, I, I, and I, I don't necessarily blame Lettinen, because, mm-hmm. you know, he's a power play guy. 
he he no he's not an idiot he knows okay i'm not getting much ice time i need to make something happen yeah right so it's a situation that kind of incentivizes him to shoot which might not be best for the team yeah and, and you know i'm conscious of that it's worth noting that just because something works on occasion doesn't mean that it's the best option i i think people are thinking okay hey Remember Letton had that shot that we just mentioned, caused a scramble, led to a goal. That's good. Yes, like, it will work a certain percentage of the time. We're not saying, oh, no, he's awful. The things that he's doing can never lead to anything. And sometimes you're going to want to have a, a point shot that leads to a scramble, at least as an option. You know, you can't do the same thing every single time. But yeah, is it the best play? I don't know. Is it something that Letton and especially necessary to do i don't think so at all tj brody can do that and i think a lot of morgan Riley's career on the power play has shown you don't really need a big booming slap shot from the point because if you're just trying to create chaos a kind of floating wrister can do almost as well and is easier to tip so it's kind of just a matter of are we getting any special value out of him on the power play? Not really. Are we getting anything out of him anywhere else? No. Because Keith doesn't play him. Um, and that's something that I want to emphasize. He plays him very little, and every single game in which Lettinen has appeared, he has wound up stapled to the bench by the end of it. Now, some of those games, two of the four, were 11 forward 7D games, but still... He played way less at 5-on-5 five five than even, say, Dermot in those kind of games. And you'll see, looking at his shift charts again and again, with about 10 minutes left, he just stops playing. Like, there was a power play last night at about 8 minutes into the third. Letton appeared on that, and that was it. was done for the night. Like, it's, it's fine if this is an adjustment period, I guess, but... It doesn't feel like there's a lot going on there. Lightning is kind of hoping for an injury, to be brutally honest. Yeah. Like, it, it would benefit him. Otherwise, it's hard to see how he gets in the lineup. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I get that we we probably didn't anticipate some things about this season. Like, we thought that there was going to be an AHL. Knowing what we know now, and, and you know, maybe the AHL will get up and running or whatever... But at the moment, you'd probably rather have Rasmus Sandin shuffling in and out of the lineup, getting some experience, mm -hmm. than whatever's going on here, because Lettinen is just kind of there. And again, Lettinen's a, a finished yeah. product. He's not... Well, yeah, I guess, I guess he's a Russian product, but he's also a finished product. <laughs> like, he's... Did you uh, have that one in the chamber all day? <laughs> <laughs> took all my brain power to make that. Um, no, he, yeah, he, he's not, you know, one for the future. Yeah. Like, it wouldn't surprise me if this is it, and then he goes back to the KHL after this year, which is fine. But, yeah, it, it's just hard not to feel like he's really kind of out of place here because he's an offensive defenseman for whom there was not a lot of work. Now, credit where it's due, he made an emergency save last night that led to a Tyler Ennis penalty shot, but it was him closing his hand on the puck in the crease. It saved what was absolutely going to be a goal if he hadn't done it. Mm -hmm. And Ennis missed the penalty shot, so yeah, he's he's a plus one in that respect. And so I, I'm not saying that I think that he's awful or incapable. I'm just saying I don't think that there's a real fit here for him at all. And he seems like clearly the seventh guy. 
So, yeah. yeah I, I don't I know if we expect much from him. No, yeah. I, I don't. And then, so I guess this sums up, we're, we're not getting outstanding contributions from our depth. We're, we're very dependent on our, on our top six. And as we alluded to early on, they're not, well, top six and then kind of the, the top four on D as well. And mm-hmm. um, I guess half of those people are holding up their end of the, the bargain. And I would say Muzzin Hall and then the top line of Matthews Marner and Thornton slash Hyman. And then the other half are not. Yeah. And, and, you know, we've covered all these guys, and each time we kept saying, okay, they don't play that much. But we just described probably the bottom third of the lineup on any given night. Like, we, you know, something like that anyway. The bottom four forwards and the bottom two defensemen. Mm-hmm. If these guys aren't giving you much of anything, and we said in every single case they're fine or they're a little less than fine. You're ending up in a situation where it's, it's like, okay, we are really not getting a lot from anyone but our stars. And this is almost an exploration of what does it mean to be top heavy? Because the only guys that I think are providing real above average value, even, even potentially are like Pierre Engvall. And even then, I'm like, I'm straining. I'm not saying he's done it yet. I'm saying I could imagine him doing it. I would it. say Dermot's an above-average third Yeah, Dur- Dermot is uh, is true on the defense. But even then, it's like... Yeah, it's two guys among yeah among uh, eight who are going to play on a nightly basis. Yeah. And, you, you, you know, you don't have to get special above-average value at every single position. But we're not getting it in all that many places now. And, and so I think... What really happens with fourth liners and depth guys a lot of the time is they'll make a nice play and you'll think, yeah, I like that. I think that happened with Travis Boyd. Like he made a couple of nice plays and then people were like, yeah, great. We've got like a good fourth line here. And maybe Boyd can be a part of one going forward. I don't know. But on balance, this isn't really adding up to a hell of a lot. And if not much is coming down on that end, you need more and more from the top guys who Mm -hmm. we've been concerned about. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Okay, so do we have anything else to discuss? Right around oh, the hour mark. Hand. Yep. Okay, awesome. Um, so thank you, everyone, for listening. You can catch all of mine and Fulman's work at PetroPanPuppets.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at RV and AT Fulman. We'll see you next week.